since before 2020. Because I know when we had to tape off and the pews and everything, it was in the middle, we just left it. Well, we carried, I think we carried it out and then it came back in. But it's been here four years. Just sat in a little view. Who knows? I mean, they were heavy gloves. They were they were winter level gloves. gloves. They were serious gloves. So. Weird stuff. I don't know if I'm on or not. Chuck must not be back. We're not feeling good still. He wasn't feeling good the other day. He caught something in, on the airplane. He's back and forth. Um, I don't know if you know, but Shad Duffy's in the hospital. Back in the hospital, he's got. Uh, Back in the hospital, yeah, he had pain. They're thinking, I guess, uh, blood clots in his lungs. He had them in his lungs and his legs, but so I guess last night they put him back in there. So, not good. I don't know, because that's what usually they put that vein of cave in, like the catcher's mitt, to catch those, or at least make sure they're small. So I'm sure the blood thinners and stuff in time, but. He's probably a, probably a good candidate for that thing. He's had that kind of issue several times, I think. If, if they do try and dissolve those, they usually go back from pretty hard. So yeah. you're pretty much in bed because they don't even want you to bump it anything. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, because you don't want them moving and shutting off yep. any kind of flow. Nope. None at all. So yeah, that was the message I got last night that he's back in the hospital with that. I, not that I know of, but I don't know everything, you know, what little I got. Um, we think, you know, like, every, like most of us, he's had, had Rona. I think Chad's had blood clot issues several times, so I don't know. I don't know. Chad's an active guy, too, so. Who knows? Hopefully I can get to the root of the problem and solve that so he can get back to being the active guy that he is. That's really risky. Yes, they are. Very, they're very risky. Yeah. Risky's not even a good enough word. <laughs> it's just not, not even close. Steve, you got it going or? Yeah, you're good. Oh, okay. We're just killing time. Wasn't really killing time, but it was just. All right, we're going to continue with our Kingdom of Christ study. Um, we're really in the third phase. What do the New Testament writers say about Christ's kingdom? We're getting close to going into the fourth one. What does Jesus do with the kingdom following the end of creation? And uh, Chuck's got a, an idea for the next set of classes. And uh, basically, you know, now that we know about the kingdom, because we've studied what coming out of out of Babylon, we've studied the prophecies of Christ, the life of Christ, now what the kingdom of Christ. So we're going to look at the kingdom of Christ, but roadblocks, pitfalls, things that can keep people out of the Kingdom. You know, it should be easier than it is, but there's certain things that will keep people out. And uh, not just sin. <laughs> not just sin. You know, he's first mentioned that, and it's like, well, that's pretty easy. And it's like, you start thinking about, you know, losing your saltiness, losing, uh, losing your first love, things like that, you know, that can keep people out. So, you can come up with a list of stuff. I typically use Kaufman's commentary. He's Church of Christ. He's old school. It's available free on uh, studylight.org. 
Uh, Barnes notes, I use those too. Barnes has got an interesting thing, although he's Presbyterian and Calvinist, he gets a lot of times into the, uh, the Greek and the Hebrew and customs. He's very good with that. I try to ignore his Calvinist stuff. Uh, sometimes it's hard, to, it's hard to filter some of that kind of thing too. So uh, if it slips through, it slips through. Uh, but I try not to. But anyways, he's, he's, good, he's a good source for a lot of stuff. And I, I, some of the th ideas I got today came from him. Bible Gateway is where I usually get the text. I usually use the English Standard Version. I've been using Legacy Standard last few t times. It's 2021 updated a new American Standard. Uh, that's what it is. I go to studylight.org for the commentaries, language tools, maps, that kind of thing. I use Google too, just in case you didn't know, but like, like most of us. My color scheme, yellow is the words of man, white is the word of God. I try to keep it that way. It may vary, but it should be how it is. So two weeks ago, we taught Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. I taught that part. We looked at Jesus being the King of Kings, and we had seven reasons that, you know, here on earth, what we make somebody a king for, and we looked at him being the King of Kings, things like that. Um, God, having spoken long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days spoke to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who is the radiance of his glory, and the exact representation of his nature, and upholds all the things by the word of his power, who having accomplished cleansing for sin, sat down at the right hand of the majesty of high, on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. So we looked at him being the king of kings, compared it to earthly kings, and uh, as a king of kings, he is better than all the angels, is what this version says. Other things say he is superior to the angels. So those are two versions. And Chuck started out, picked up in verse 5, he looked at the uh, unique relationship between the Father and the Son and the role of angels in fulfilling God's plan. So he had these two things going on last week. Uh, Hebrews 1.5, for to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son, to have begotten you. And again, I will be the father to him and he shall be the son to me. Obviously these are things he said to Jesus, they're not things he said to the angels. Picking up in verse 6, and when he began... When he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, and let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels winds, and his ministers flaming fire. Verse 8. But of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever, and a scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with all the oil of gladness above your companions. So this is really, even like this, with Christ it's his God that anoints him King of Kings. So we're going to pick up there in verse 10. So Hebrews 1, 10 through 11, 10 through 12 says, And you, Lord, in the beginning founded the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you remain, and they will wear out like a garment, and like a mantle you will roll them up. Like a garment they will also be changed, and you are the same. And your years will not come to an end. So who is the you? I underlined you's and yours in here. Jesus. Are you sure? Yes. Nora's sure. And she's right. This is Jesus. This is Jesus. This is who, it at, who that is. Um, the you in these verses is the same as the verses before it. Same you. Still, still Jesus. And it starts out verse 8. But of the Son, he says. So this starts out... Being about Jesus, it continues to be about Jesus. Uh, 
these verses are quoted from Psalm 102, verse 25 to 27. And according to the commentaries, they are exactly the same, I guess, Hebrew to Greek, even though the English may vary a little bit. But the Hebrew and the Greek are, are the same. Uh, so Psalm 102, 25 through 27 says, I say, O my God, do not take me away in the midst of your day, my days. Your years are from generation to all generations. And of old you founded the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Even they will perish, but you will remain. And all of them will wear out like a garment. Like clothing you will change them, and they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will not come to an end. It's close in English, you know, a little bit different. Who's the you in these verses? Nor says Jesus. Anybody else got another one? Yep. The psalmist writes to his, his God, his Father, the Father that he knows. Yeah, the, writes to God the Father, the God that he knows. And you're right. This is really in Psalm, this is where it would be. Because David, or the psalmist, if it's not David, says, Oh my God. That's who he's talking to. He's talking to God the Father in, in Psalm 102. But the words are the same. So what do you think the significance is applying the words of the, to the Father in Psalm 102, and they just Apply them directly to the Son in Hebrew 1. What kind of significance do you see in that? Yeah, their attributes are the same. Uh, God's own word doesn't, doesn't make one less than the other, doesn't split a difference. They apply to both. They apply to both. I think that's I think that's the key with that. So even you know we always think God the Father is he's he's the God, but Christ is the King of Kings, and He's applying exactly the same to Him as it did to God the Father in Psalms. So we'll look at that a little bit piece by piece. So verse ten, and you Lord in the beginning founded the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. The Son created and founded the earth and the heavens, the universe. We don't, we don't argue about that, do we? Okay. I try not to talk to the naysayers. I try to show the evidence that we have and won't try to refute negative stuff. Um, the Bible doesn't. It starts with, in the beginning, God did this. It assumes God. It continues that way. So what did the Son make it from? If He created the earth, created the heavens, created the whole universe, what did He make it from? Nothing. He made it from nothing. What did you say, Mick? His spoken words. His spoken words, how he did it. Which is another, you know, it's one of those things that we don't even understand because voice, it takes time. It takes a sound, takes, you know, it's got a vibration to it. There's a rhythm to it. There's a, a pattern. Um, there's a language. None of that existed. But he created that in, uh, in essence too. So, but he made it from zero. Pretty amazing? I know this isn't a kid's class, but it's still pretty amazing when you really get down and think about it. He made it from nothing. I got some science pictures here, just because. I'm an engineer, I get to do this kind of stuff. So, never trust an atom, they make up everything. I like that quote, that's a good quote. 
So, so everybody pretty familiar with science like this? No? Okay. Atoms, the stuff up in the top left corner, those are typically considered the smallest building, building blocks. We're going to get smaller than that in a little while. But atoms go together to make molecules. And these molecules, they'll make compounds where they, they bond together like, uh, like that glass in the bottom right with water. Um, one hydrogen and two oxygen, no, two hydrogen and one oxygen, combine together to make water. So if you break it down really small, that's what you, what you would have is these molecules. There's also mixtures, and mixtures are just like, like sand or, or even gasoline or sweet tea or something where things don't really combine with tight bonds. Elements are, um, elements are the building blocks of molecules. You'll have, a, you'll have an atom or a molecule of hydrogen or oxygen, and those will combine to make compounds like water or sodium and chloride to make salt. This matter comes in gas, liquid, and solids, and it's basically density, how close the atoms are. So they're tightly, if they're tightly together, it's solids, a little bit more, less liquids, farther apart in gases. This is pretty much how science works on how matter. Everything in the universe that we consider stuff, it's made out of this. It's all, it's all the same. I don't think they've found anything that's not made out of matter. They're looking for antimatter still. They know it exists. So how and how, how they'll find that and where they'll find it and why, a whole different thing. I think it was in the 20s, um, science still had dark light. They knew there was light, but there was light that they couldn't see. And as they started seeing that with the infrared and the x-rays and the radio waves and stuff like that, that spectrum filled in. It was no longer dark light. It was it assigned a different name. So what antimatter is, who knows? They're still looking for that. So, but matter is what we'll just consider because that's the stuff we know of. That's what it's made of. So atoms. Uh, it's basic part, basic particle of which all matters. Everything's made. Uh, I like this stat. A sheet of paper is approximately 10,000 atoms thick. Anyone want to count those? How would you count them? Steve, you work around equipment similar to that, don't you? Electron microscope. I don't know how electron microscope works, but I do know that's how they do that kind of thing. 10,000 atoms thick. You wouldn't think, I mean, it's a lot of, that's a lot of atoms thick to make a sheet of paper. Atoms are typically made out of, what, three components? Proton, neutron, electrons, yep. Neutrons are negative, electrons, sorry, neutrons are neutral, the electrons are negative, the protons are positive. They work, work together like that, kind of like magnetism, attract each other. Protons and neutrons involve quarks, and apparently there are three quarks in a proton, three quarks in a neutron. A proton has two up quarks and one down quark, and a neutron has two down quarks and one up quark. And this is how they're made. The smallest particles are made out of even smaller particles, and I guess those are probably made out of even smaller. This is a strange thing, though. Usually you find balance and stuff. It's a positive and a negative, and they bound to zero. But these two have, you know, an up and two downs, or two ups and a down, so they would have some kind of, they're not neutral, there's not a zero to it. So I like the title, The Massive Pandemonium in Matter. So who knew? 
But anyways, get smaller and smaller. And that was from a guy named Matt Strassler. So who created the quarks, the protons, electrons, neutrons, atoms, molecules, compounds, mixtures, matter, and stuff like that? Same guy? Same guy. Even though, I mean, we think about the vastness of the universe. Sometimes we forget about how small things get. And these are the building blocks. You had to build those to build anything else. So there's probably something smaller than quarks. I'm not an atomic physicist. I don't even claim to be. But you'd have to build, if you're going to build it yourself, you'd start with a quarks and build protons, build electrons, build neutrons, build atoms, molecules. You start at all those levels. If you knit together 10,000 atoms, you've got the thickness of a piece of paper, but not a piece of paper. So you consider all the little pieces that go into the universe. Anybody want to guess how many little pieces there are in the universe? <laughs> Big number, isn't it? Yeah. It's a big number. Is it infinite? Can't be infinite, can it? No, there's a lot. But that's you know, this is just the size of God. This is how how big He is that He can create. He has created all of this and controls all of it. It all works on a system that that He created and controls, keeps in line. So man and angels can't have done it. We already know that. Um, could, we also established you can't count that high. No way, no how could you count that high to figure out how many of those there are. You know how many stars are in the universe? Guesses? A lot. Man, how long do we get that answer all the time? I saw a number one time. It was 3.05 times 10 to the 23rd. That may be visible stars. That may be, I don't know exactly, but that was their number. 3.05 times 10 to the 23rd. Anybody know that number? Six point, oh, sorry, 3.01 times 10 to the 23rd. Anybody know two times that number? 6.02 times 10 to the 23rd? Avogadro's number? Anybody know that number? Grant knows that number. That's how many, anyways, Avogadro's number, that's how many things are in a mole. So how many atoms, for instance, are in, like hydrogen's atomic mass is one gram, about the weight of a paper clip. If you take 6.02 times 10 to the 23rd, so it's six followed by 23 zeros, you take that number of hydrogen atoms together, it'll weigh as much as a paper clip. That's how many stars, half that many is how many stars there are in the universe. So you can only imagine how many atoms and stuff there are. So those are numbers, nobody's counted them. Those are back figured from other ways. Verse 11, they will perish, but you remain, and they will wear out like a garment. So he's talking about the works of, of Christ's hands. He's talking about the creation, um, the, the earth, the heavens, It'll perish, but you remain, and they will wear out like a garment. So what eventually is going to happen to all creation? Just gone. Why? <laughs> because? Everything comes on a time limit. You're right. 
Every piece of matter has a time clock. It all has a time clock. Science knows it has a time clock. God says it right here. It'll all, it all has a time clock. There's two different ways that it describes how that'll happen, but it all has a time clock. Um, so what does that verse compare the demise of creation to? So everything has a time limit. What's it compare it to? Verse 11. Clothing. It'll wear out like a garment. Nikki, you had that shirt long? No? Not in, not in the grand scheme of things, right? You didn't have that shirt when you met Sandy? No? What happened to the leisure suit you had when you did meet her? You st- <laughs> huh? It's still looking in the closet. Wow. Wow. It's a story of my dad right there. Anybody ever own a pair of go-go boots? Go-go boots? Paul didn't have a pair of go-go boots. No? Flapper dress? You remember go-go boots? Yep. Nehru jacket? No, not the jacket. What else can I date myself with? Bell bottoms? Bell bottoms are back, though. They are. Tie-dye? That's what my mom was saying just, just yesterday. My sister and I would not wear clothes with holes in it. We would not wear a patch on clothes because I wore them out too fast. But people, people buy them that way now. That's the style. Yeah, yeah. No, I understand. What else is, what other kind of clothing is gone? Just out of style, wore it out. Have you ever wore out your favorite, I don't care, pair of shoes? A pair of shoes will last you a long, good, long time, a good pair of shoes will, right? But not, not all that time. How long? I wear my work boots. I wear Timberlands. I wear them every day. I typically get between a year and a year and a half out of a pair of Timberlands. They've just made that good, which is pretty amazing because I wear them 10 to 12 hours a day. So, but you know, that, that's a pretty good amount of time, but I don't expect them, to, I don't expect to pass them down to Grant and Jamie's kids, you know, I just don't. So the universe is gonna wear out like a garment. So why'd you get rid of, why did you get rid of, yeah, why don't you have some of these things anymore? Why don't you have the go-go boots, the Nehru jacket, the bell bottoms, the style? It went out of style. What about the stuff that didn't go out of style? They rot. You can only wash them so many times, right? They fade. The the seams rip. I got a shirt at Christmas time. It's got a Santa on a surfboard. I washed it twice, and it's thing's probably already dead. It's already lost a lot of thread out of it. So. What do you get for $8 or $12, whatever it was? So they rot over time. You know, your winter coat probably lasts you a pretty good amount of time here, but not other places. You probably get a new one every year. Pennsylvania, you get one regularly up there? Yeah. Yeah, where you bought a very high quality. That's a good point, too. Something very high quality lasts a really long time. 
the kids used to go through backpacks and get a new one every year. But we bought Lands in backpacks, and they lasted long enough that the kids, <laughs> can I just have another backpack? Because they'd still last. They'd last forever. The kids' suitcases are Lands in. I don't know. How old were you when we got those suitcases? Yeah. So they've had these suitcases for almost 20 years, and they still use the same suitcase. So quality stuff. God makes quality stuff, but it'll still wear out like a garment. Half-life. If you don't know anything about half-life, everything wears out. Everything changes. These are, for instance, the one on the left, carbon-14. If you have carbon-14, in 5,730 years, half of that, if you had a pound of carbon-14, half that will turn into nitrogen-14. It'll lose pieces. It'll wear out in 5,730 years. You're not going to be around in 5,730 years to find out. But all these things do. Aluminum turns into magnesium. Iodine goes to xenon. Uranium turns to lead. Potassium turns to argon. Rubidium turns to strontium. They change over this amount of time. And it all devolves down to hydrogen is what it'll do. But it'll just take forever. It's not really forever. It's just a really, really long time. Um, all, the, all the atoms, all the elements will wear out is what really happens. According to science, the theory that most people go with is, the, or I don't even know most, this is the prevalent theory that I, as far as I understand, it's called the big freeze. It's also known as heat death. This theory suggests that the universe will reach a state of maximum entropy where no more work can be extracted. That will be about 1.07 times 10 to 160 years if protons decay. So that's one followed by 106 zeros. Yeah. That everything's gonna, it's gonna give out, it's gonna lose shape. Um, and it's just gonna kind of just, the way, the way that clothes rip apart your universe is just gonna kind of same way. Away. Yep. That entropy, entropy is, is a chaos function. You see it in thermodynamics and stuff. Like Grant says, I mean, like in a washing machine, you watch that stuff. We've got a glass lid on our washing machine. And you, can, you, know, you can watch the clothes beat against each other. Universe will beat against each other enough that it'll chip it into smaller and smaller pieces. Entropy is not quite that way, but it'll get smaller and smaller, and the pieces will get farther and farther away, so they can't can't react. I think the last light is at 10 to the 25th years, so there's a long, 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 long time with no light, just darkness and little pieces. If it just decays like that, so that's the science theory. Like I said that's one theory. That's one thing. And God, God talks about that, how it wears out. But what eventually happens to all creation? 2 Peter 3, 10 through 13. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be found out. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God? Because because of which the heavens burning will be destroyed and the elements will melt with intense heat. According to His promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. There used to be like that big freeze, there was also a big, I think there's a big heat theory. It used to be that every, the gravity would pull everything back together and heat up and stuff too. But um, what happens to everything? What happens to all creation eventually, according to God's Word? It's burned up. It's destroyed. 
not much difference than everything else. It gets, you know, timeline and stuff a little different, but it gets burned up, it gets destroyed. It's at God's will. At the day of the Lord, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and that's when it's all going to go away. It won't be 10 to the 160 years. It's when He's ready. Matthew 24, 35, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So we're going to lose all the atoms, all the quarks, all the protons. But what won't? What won't be destroyed? What will not be chipped away and destroyed? Him. That's a good answer. God will not. Christ will not. The Word of God will not. Those will remain. Back to our Hebrews 1, 10 through 12 text. Probably looking at verse 10. I mean 12. Um, yeah, let's start with 11. Um, they will perish, but you remain, and they will all wear out like a garment, and like a mantle you will roll them up. Like a garment they will also be changed, but you are the same, and your years will not come to an end. Um, it kind of compares the universe to clothing, as we've been looking at, and accessories of God, of Christ. I like this quote from Je Joseph Excel, the Bible, biblical illustrator. The stars are the jewels on his brow. The sky is his flowing train. The flowering landscapes, the shining seas, the gorgeous clouds, the fine needlework, and wrought gold of his imperial raiment. So everything we see, we see beauty in this world, it's part of, kind of like his coat. It's there to let us see him, let, let us know his beauty, let us know his love, uh, and it's all there for that. But, like I say, it'll, it'll eventually go away. So what do you do with clothing and accessories that serve their purpose? Well, you discard them, right? Maybe you give them to a secondhand store, but eventually they get discarded, right? Um, that's all that can be done with some stuff, right? It's just gone. It served its purpose. Why isn't the universe eternal? Yeah, I like that. God didn't make it that way. He made it to wear out. Grant? It's not perfect. It's, it's made by God. It's not God, is it? That's a good point, too. Uh, we know from idol worship, and I don't know if I got I think I made a slide about this, too. Idol worship, um, what did they typically worship? Yeah, idols. Uh, what do those idols represent? Stuff, yeah. The goddess of the earth, the goddess of the moon, the goddess of the sun, the goddess of the rain, the goddess of the sunlight, the goddess of the harvest, the goddess of stuff. The god of orange carpet, right? You'd have a god, goddess of everything. But they were, but that stuff isn't eternal. So the god of the sun would be a God of something that over time will burn out and be gone. They're not God. Yep. Unfortunately, you know, it, it, it's an unfortunate thing, isn't it? As much as I'd like to see wander around here for eternity, I also understand there's something better for you too, right? <laughs> much better. Yeah. I appreciate that very much. Um, yeah. The older you get, the more you appreciate that. 
I see that here. I see that with people who um, they face the end and they're not afraid of it. They know and they know the, the rewards and they know that it's okay. It's not just okay. It's better than that. It's all good. It's tough. I, I heard some, I don't know if I heard it in a sermon or just a statement that somebody made with all of the aches and pains and infirmities of age is God's way of reminding you to be sure that you're ready. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and that, is that right in this verse right here? Since, since all this stuff's going to be destroyed, uh, people ought to be in holy conduct and godliness. Like I say, my, you know, my knees are already going, you know. You know, like I said, everything else is going to go. You, you, need to be, <laughs> you need to be ready. You need to be ready. Like your back. Yep. We see people who have heart problems and whatever. Yeah, he had a he had a serious day there, isn't he? So what do you think this says? The universe isn't eternal. So what do you think this says for those who worship beauty? They worship money. They worship the Crimson Tide. They worship the sun. Stanley Cups. Right? Useless. Is that what you said? Wow. It is, isn't it? Yeah. It is. It's, just, it's got its half-life. It's got its time. Enjoy that stuff while you got it. You know? If you got it. But yeah. It's got its time. But if that's what you think the end goal is... You got nothing to hold on to. Will Christ wear out? Will he change? And 1.07 times 10 to the 160 years? He won't change. Everything else changes. But he won't. That is worth standing on. Will his kingdom change? <laughs> it will no longer be an earthly kingdom. It will no longer be time dependent. It will no longer be matter dependent. That kingdom will change. That's a given. For some of us it will happen sooner than others. But that kingdom will change. Verse 13, Hebrews 1.13 But to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand, so I put your enemies as a footstool under your feet. So the second question, will his kingdom change? Will his kingdom change? Christ sits at the right hand of God, right? That question there? How long will he be king of kings? How long will he sit at the right hand of God? Not quite. Close though. How long? Is it eternity? He's going to sit at his right hand until the enemies are put as a footstool at his feet. Then it seems like he won't be sitting at the right hand anymore, right? I think this is one of the future lessons, and I'm not going to 
you already know the answer, but we're going to get to it deeper. At that time, he will hand the kingdom back to the Father. Okay? He'll no longer be king. He'll be, he'll sub, he'll be subject to the Father at that point. So that's kind of where it goes. When enemies are put as a footstool. So who or what are the enemies? You know, people that don't know him, and you're right on that. A lot of times Satan uses that to pull towards his kingdom, right? Okay. It's also open until they've got a chance. They've got a long chance to know him. What are the other enemies? What makes the universe wear out? What do most people fear the most? Okay. If it's you have no belief in in God, then I would think the biggest fear would be death. I think you're right. And if you have belief in God, you still probably have a fear of the unknown of death. A healthy uh, fear of that, yeah. Yea, though I walk through the valley of death, you will be with me. Yeah. Yeah, it's a tough thing to face. What, we don't have a great description of what's on the other side of that, but we know it's good. We know, we know God, so you know what it is. But yeah, I think death is one of those enemies. And once death is defeated, death will go under his feet too. It can no longer be held against us. You know, um, our sins, the penalty is death. If there's no death, after your last breath, you can live on the other side, right? So death is one of those things. Time is another. You know, time runs out on everything. We age. We're not what we used to be. That's an, another enemy. Sin, just a lot of enemies. Anything that takes us away from God. So, but you're, and you're right on that. Time doesn't have to. Death doesn't have to. That's the good news. Those are the good news. Are the angels part of that? They're not matter. I think the, I think the best thing I can say is they're not matter, so they won't be destroyed like creation. But... I can't say that I got a full understanding of that. Michael O'Neill probably has a better. Uh, Mark O'Neill doesn't. Def, Mike O'Neill definitely has a better understanding of that. Uh, they're going to help us. Verse 14. Are they not all ministering spirits sent to render service for the sake of those who inherit salvation? So, what's the role of the angel? What's the role of angels? Yeah, minister to us, to render service for those who inherit salvation. That's. That's their role. Who do they serve? I've heard that. I'll just kind of go through these. I'm not even going to read the verses, but Luke 16, 20 through 22. They bear away the souls of righteous and death. You see that with, with uh, Lazarus. 
Jude 5 and 6, they oppose purposes and designs of Satan, not in their own names, but in the name of the Lord. And this example is actually the fallen angels, but living outside in their dominion. Acts 12, 21 through 23, they execute the punitive judgments of God upon the incorrigibly wicked. And because um, they, they take Herod's life, immediately the angel of the Lord struck him. Daniel 10, 18 through 20, they exert influence over the rulers and governments of nations. Acts 10, 1 through 4, Cornelius' story, they aid providentially in bringing the unsaved to hear the redeeming words of the gospel. So, yeah, in that aspect, they're working against time and everything else. Six, Matthew 18, 10 through 11, they exercise solicitous care over our little children. These are the words of, I think these are the words of Kaufman. But anyways, I still like them. I can't. Um, number seven, they are actively employed in maintaining free course and availability of the Word of God. That's Revelation 10, 1 through 2. Uh, the angel has an open scroll. So they maintain making sure the gospel is available and bringing people to the gospel is something they basically do. And in verse Hebrews 1.14, are they not all ministering spirits sent to render service for the sake of those who inherit salvation? That's what they do, is serve those who inherited it. How do we receive salvation? What's the key word in this verse? Inherit. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. We inherit it. As children of God, we inherit salvation. How long will that salvation last? Eons. That's really a good answer right there. Eons. I would say, I mean, you're saved from death, so that salvation is until death is, and you know, until death and the penalties are put under Christ's feet. Um, as kingdom changes from there, we'll still be a part of that. Uh, but that salvation, you don't need salvation once you're inside, I don't think. But I can be proven wrong too. That's where I'll leave it. So Chuck will pick up next week. I think he's moving on to Hebrews 4 and continue our study of the kingdom of God. So thanks for joining me. Thanks for talking. Thanks for a little science stuff just for spite.